Let's just uh, pray before we continue. Lord Jesus Christ, we're so grateful you're Lord and King. And we know that you are truly good in every way, wholesome and holy and powerful and good. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you promised to accomplish everything that you've set out through it and that the outcome is ultimately transformation of life. So we would invite you, uh, Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us in a way which uh, speaks to us in a, a fresh from the, Holy, from the Word of God in a way which confronts us with you, Lord Jesus, and changes us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear people of St. Timothy's Anglican Bible Church, um, I, uh, it's no secret that in a few months, uh, uh, in no early November at the uh, Dawson Synod, uh, Lord willing, we're praying that it's going to be uh, an in-person synod. We're planning for it to be in person, uh, which will be the first time in three years. Uh, and, but at that, right at the beginning, there will be the transfer, and the primate will be there, but there'll be the transfer of spiritual authority from, uh, from myself as Dawson to Bishop Dan Gifford. Uh, and thus will begin my retirement. So it, it's very possible and, and likely that this would be uh, my final time with you uh, before that. Uh, and uh, I... Um, this is uh, particularly, uh, I guess, uh, sad for me because the last two years I haven't been anywhere, so I haven't been with you, uh, and so I feel like some lost time, but not lost time in terms of the purposes of God and not lost time in prayer. Uh, and I want to say that um, I thank God for you, I pray for you, I'm proud of you, I'm honored to be a partner in the gospel with you, uh, and uh, I just want to encourage you, and I pray that something about what happens today in the service will, will bring you encouragement, uh, because we certainly all need encouragement in these days. Um, I, uh, I asked that the scriptures, uh, the scriptures which have been read already were not the ones assigned for this particular Sunday in the lections, and I'm a fan of the lections, so this is a, a disrupting that. But it seemed to me important, I thought, uh, to have some passages which were of personal importance to me and have been, which sort of frame what I think about and what I pray uh, will be on your mind and heart. Uh, in the days ahead. So uh, the, the Old Testament, Joshua 24, the Psalm, Psalm 138, and linked to that, the Epistle, Revelation 3, and then John 15. Those are the passages, none of which were in the lections, but I thank you, uh, Pastor Dan, for setting them up, and I thank you for readers to, to read those uh, for today. It's a funny thing. Um, you know, f facing a change. And uh, there's, uh, and, and of course the scriptures are filled with, with uh, those kind of things. And uh, where I'm heading, I think, I hope, 
is to do a meditation primarily on the psalm, Psalm 138. And my text would be the first two verses of Psalm 138, where David said, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Well, to get there, I want to uh, start with the Old Testament lesson that was read from Joshua 24. Um, and it's not that I particularly identify with Joshua. I certainly don't think I'm a Joshua. But, but, a certain, but in some ways I do. For instance, maybe you'll remember that I think Exodus 17, uh, Joshua was the one who led the people of Israel in the battle against the Amalekites. And it was Moses who was above uh, lifting up the staff and his arm would come weary. And then whenever it went down, then the Amalekites were winning. But when it was up, then the Israelites were winning. Uh, and so, Moses, uh, so Aaron and Hur uh, uh, came alongside and they put a stone and they propped up his arm so that his arm was uh, permanently up with the staff and thus Joshua and the people of Israel won the day. Uh, I certainly have to say that I feel like that in the sense not that of winning the day, but that uh, anything good that's ever happened in me and through me has been entirely as a result of the prayers of others. Um, and I'm fortunate to come from a family where my mother, for instance, was a real prayer warrior. Uh, and we, we lived dependent on, on that, that prayer. And now I have mom and dad are now in heaven, um, but I have two sisters, I have four, but two who never married uh, and have uh, seemed to have uh, taken up the mantle of what mom uh, left behind. And so they very much dedicate their lives to, to intercession. Intercession, particularly for Anik. Um, and, uh, and therefore, uh, they have prayed uh, me through, my family, uh, through a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, I mean, to start with, I remember my sister, one of my sisters telling me the day I was confirmed, uh, which was not for me a particularly auspicious occasion because I was bored about the whole thing, but I was doing it because it was the right thing to do and so on. Uh, but anyway, uh, she told me years later that when she looked across, my mom was crying and begging the Lord for mercy for this, for this apathetic son. And in the mercies of God, he heard her prayer and the prayers of others. And so at, you know, around 18 years old at a, at a camp, I heard the gospel that I'd heard him, not a million times, but like a million times. It was not unfamiliar territory. But this time, for whatever reason, it sunk through. I remember being afraid of evil, which was a new experience, that the reality of evil was something that had grabbed me. And I knew I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I knew that I had no basis of standing. And I knew I was a shell of a person uh, who, uh, who needed uh, Jesus to take residence in my life where I was sunk. All of those things have got to be answers to prayer. 
And so in the mercies of the Lord, I went for a walk and I asked Jesus into my life and thus began the adventure. But she, they did not stop praying and so that continues today. And so the staff being lifted up, well, you probably know that Joshua was a protege of Moses. You probably know that he was one who went up the mountain and when the, you know, when the, uh, he received the two tablets, uh, he, he was the one who heard the raucous thing that's going down when the people of Israel uh, with Aaron were frolicking and had turned uh, uh, and made a molten calf and were worshiping it. Uh, he was there who hovered by the, the, uh, the, the, print, the tent of, uh, with the Lord. He didn't want to leave even when Moses left. And remember, he put a veil on his face. Joshua saw all of that. And then when Moses died, God said, as we have read at the beginning of Joshua, Moses, your servant is dead. Now my servant is dead. Now then, you're to lead the people of Israel in the promised land. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written in it, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Have not I commanded you be strong and of good courage? That's what Joshua experienced. And of course, they went in, uh, and uh, beginning with Jer Jericho, and uh, all sorts of victories. Amazing stuff. Uh, just in, and, and so by... Uh, Joshua 23, now Joshua knows that his days are numbered. And he says this, And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Now this is not saying that everything went Joshua's way. It's not saying that there weren't any disappointments. It's not saying that there weren't any troubles. And if you follow the trail, you'll realize that there were a whole bunch of serious problems, disappointments, and so on. And in fact, not all of, of the land had yet been uh, uh, taken in the way that Joshua would have hoped for. But as he reflected on things, he had to say, God is faithful, and he's definitely, definitely, definitely kept every word of his promise. So, that point number one that he says, then Joshua 24, which was read this afternoon, is him still reflecting on the faithfulness of God and still reflecting on the fact that he's about to leave and he's now uh, challenging them. And he said this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served before the, beyond the river and Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Make a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That passage is of great significance for me. First of all, again, going back to these ancient years of me as a bored adolescent. Uh, my dad was a lay reader. My grandfather was an Anglican priest. His name was Charles Masters, but my father was a lay reader. Uh, and in this little place called Hereford Chapel on the border between uh, Quebec, very close to Frontier Lodge, 
Uh, and um, there, uh, dad was preaching, and he was preaching on Joshua 24. My dad used three by five cards, you know, three by five cards. And so he would flip them and make his way through. So he got to choose you this day whom you will serve as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm at the back of the church, half asleep as usual, uh, hoping this is gonna be over sooner than later. Uh, and, and all of a sudden dad goes back and says, choose you this day whom you will serve as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And suddenly, I was alarmed because it seemed to me perhaps the choice that dad and mom had made had implications for me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua is saying there's a choice to make. And having said that, this people had gone through all sorts of amazing things. So you would think it's a, an easy answer, but not easy at all. In fact, profound and of great importance. I have another sister who is prone when you ask her a question, she'll say, what's the right answer? Uh, and uh, pretty wise in the sense that uh, she wanted, wants to know, if I say this, is that what you want to hear? And then I'm off the hook. Or if I say that, are you going to be annoyed with me? And then there's going to be a problem. Tell me what the right answer is, and then I can know. Well, what we need to know is that in the scope of all of Scripture, when Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve, there is a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And what we need to know is that in fact, God, the living God, He has made His choice. So it is that, for instance, in Luke 24, we have the account of on that great and glorious day of the resurrection of Jesus, when he's walking on the way to Emmaus and there's two individuals who have yet not to, they did not recognize Jesus. They're telling him what was going on and, they, and uh, they said, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know about these things? And they told him the whole story and then he said, oh foolish men and slow of heart, was it not necessary for the Messiah to die? And of course it was. And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus evidently thought the whole Bible was about him because God made his choice. He chose this one to be the anointed one, the one of choice. And so, uh, for instance, in Psalm 2, there's this extraordinary uh, showdown between the nations of the world and the living God. It says this, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So you see the picture, all the nations, the great leaders trying to figure a way to get rid of God's anointed so that we can do what we want and we can be in charge, which is of course the desire and the plan. Does God wring his hands in fear and say, oh dear, uh, I didn't do my uh, demographics well enough. I didn't do a poll so that I didn't know that this was not going to go well. Maybe I have to have a few regional uh, whatever or none of that. Listen to what it says. And you probably know, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The living God has made his choice. He's made his choice and it's Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one. And he's not at all intimidated by all the nations uh, being against that if they want to be. In fact, it's a scary thing to be the nations, to be anything or anyone who's standing against the living God. So it is that, that ultimately God says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There is a right answer. He has chosen this anointed one. And he's inviting the nations rather than fighting him and trying to burst the bonds and get rid of him. He says, choose the son because I have chosen the son. This is what the Lord is saying. So it is that in Psalm 110, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Speaking of Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Jesus' baptism, when the dove descended on him in visual form like a dove, the voice of the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's made his choice. In whom, and, uh, and so it is that, for instance, at the transfiguration, Peter had uh, got it wrong, and he would said, let's make a booth for Moses, Elijah, and, and you, Jesus. And, and the Father was not happy with that. And so there's this booming voice clearly of the living God saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. See, there's a connection between God's choice of Jesus and the Word of God. The Word incarnate, and the word written. So that in fact, what Jesus is saying at the transfiguration, and Peter picked it up loud and clear, is that if he is the one, you better listen to him. His word stands. So it is that when Peter reflects on that, as is given in 2 Peter 1, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, that's the, he's talking about the transfiguration, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy is a, is a matter of one's own interpretation. And on it goes. In other words, he's made his choice and he's put his stamp of approval on his word, which stands with him. He's chosen his son, and by definition, that means he's chosen his word. Listen to him. Now, one of the things that's so incredible about God's choice is that in his choice of the son, and in his choice of the word, he makes it clear in his word that his choosing of the son is unto the cross and the resurrection. For he sent the son. The father sent the son, it says in John 3, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. 
So that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And so it is that this what's incredible thing is that in the mercies of the Lord, he chose him, he chose his word, and through him, he's choosing you, my friend. This is good, good news. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What a, what a glorious honor to know that that, the, that he has chosen us. We choose him, and that's what we're thinking of, make a choice. But in fact, it's based on the fact that he's chosen us. That's the rock-solid thing that makes it so wonderful. That's why it's no fear. Paul said, therefore, do not be ashamed. This is what he said to his protege, Timothy, of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the testimony. What's he talking about? He's saying, I know he died on a cross, and that sounds like he's a loser. That sounds like he's being condemned. That sounds like he's cursed, is the one who hangs on the tree. But in fact, that very death, don't be ashamed of it, be proud of it, because it's the means through which forgiveness and life is, is born. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, listen to this, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before anything was that was. So it's got nothing to do with your attainment or your sincerity or anything you've done. It was all accomplished before anything was that was. He gave it to us, his purpose and his grace in Jesus before the ages began. And so, and it goes on and says, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. For you know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He who calls you as faithful, he will surely do it. He's made his choice. Which brings us to Psalm 138. See, David declared that he has chosen the Lord because the Lord had made his choice. So he, like Joshua, has humbly chosen him, which personally has been so significant to me and my wife down through the years. While we were in England, in Nottingham, England, and I was doing my theological training, we were part of a Bible study group. Lots of us are in Bible study groups, and we were, and somehow we discovered, I'm sure it was there already, but we didn't know that, Psalm 138. And Psalm 138 became for us life and health and, and, a, and an anchor which kept us in the midst of the storms of life and ministry. Life and ministry is an Anglican. So, for instance, David said, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to you for your name, for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things. You've made your choice, Lord, your name and your word. What we did at that time, which was pivotal and critical for us, is we made a choice. We said, if God has chosen, this is what he's blessed, the name of the Lord Jesus and the word of God, then that's what we're going to hang on to. 
And then we're going to seek to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus, and we're going to seek to proclaim the word of God, to frame our lives by it, to live according to it, no matter what goes on around us. That was what our commitment was. So it is, for instance, I, we take great encouragement by uh, the revelation, where, which was read of the epistle for today, where, where Jesus, in the letter to the Philadelphian church, says, Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Friends, for us who are part of small churches, who are hanging in there in terms of, this is good, good news. An open door based on the word of God uh, and lifting up the, the name of the Lord Jesus. For me, that's such good news. And as we go along in Psalm 138, verse 4, all the kings of the earth shall give th you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. This Jesus is not our little savior in me in my small corner and my little savior helping me to deal in valid ways with my little problems. This is the glorious one for, through whom all things remain by him and for him. Everything makes sense in him alone. Everything is sustained through him alone. And in this Jesus is the one that we lift up. He's the one to choose. And then listen to this good news. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. You don't have to be competent. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be worthy. You don't have to be able to deliver on all these things. In fact, if you're smart, you realize you can't do any of those things. Then in fact, I am the vine, Jesus said, you are the branches, he or she who abides in me, I in him. That person bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. The smart, the wise are the lowly, who recognize their desperate need for a savior and for a Lord. The haughty, the together, those who, who have a sense that I know what I'm doing and I thank you very much and I'm going to carry on. Those are the ones that God stands against. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, it says. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. That is personal, and that's corporate. Personal, the Lord called you for a purpose, friends. He, has, he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. He who calls is faithful, he will surely do it. But that's not just a personal thing, that's a corporate thing. And so for a church like St. Timothy's Anglican Bible Church, this is of great importance. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, for us, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I say amen and amen. So it matters the choice you make. He has made his choice. Now we're called to make our choice.
Paul said after 11 chapters of describing the good news of the gospel, justification by faith in Romans, he said, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. That's who we're talking about. But what do you do? He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your only spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's made his choice, and he invites us to choose him because he's chosen us. It's very sensible. It's counterculture for sure, but it's the only thing in town, the only thing that works, the only thing that stands. And so, dear friends, it's my joy as bishop for a few more days to rejoice with you in the good news that God has made his choice in Jesus. And in his choice, he's chosen him to go the way of the cross and resurrection and ascension and one day return. And in his goodness has given us his word, which is a faithful and true witness. And then he's chosen us before the ages began. And so it is our joy once again. And if you come to receive communion, I invite you to see it as you saying once again, I choose you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me as we would pray? Oh God, we uh, thank you that you're so clear. That you don't leave us out there in the miry clay wondering what in the world. But you have spoken with such clarity that it's almost offensive. But we thank you for it because there's times when it's life and death issues. We need to know that we know that we know. So we thank you for your word. We thank you you've declared your choice in Jesus. And Lord, we would choose him too. And thank you that before the ages began, you called us and chose us by your purpose and grace, not by our works, but by your purpose and grace, manifested in your life, death, and resurrection, where you abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. We bless you and thank you in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.